Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today I have Vineet Miro with me, who is the CMO of Ancestry. Hi, Vineet. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Well, actually, I should say thank you for having me here in your office. So what a great place this is. I'm so happy to be back in San Francisco. And what a fascinating time to be here. I cannot wait to dig in more about what's happening with Ancestry. And let's start, though, with what brought you here? What excited you about this opportunity and why did you take it on? Yeah, you know, that's a a really good question. Ancestry, and I think almost everyone you talk to that has joined us here, will will tell you just how mission-driven this company is. I mean, if you look at my background between companies like P&G, Johnson & Johnson, Novartis, they've all been companies that really had a strong sense of mission and values behind them. And when I looked into the tech sector, I was looking for a company that, one, was really grounded in very strong mission values and contribution to the world. That's something that's always been very important to me. Two, a company that really aligned with sort of my personal mission values, which is around, you know, inclusivity and embracing diversity and connectedness and belonging. And you can imagine how a company whose mission it is to help people create personal discoveries And through those personal discoveries, they find connections to others, and we all become closer as a result. That really connected with the things I like to do in my spare time with the community and and things I believe in. And then third was just, you know, very rarely do you get as a CMO a platform of a brand that you believe can genuinely and authentically change, you know, the world. And I mean that in a way to say from our product all the way to our marketing, the connection is very strong. And it's something that I, I really saw as a very powerful thing. So you put all that together, and when I got this opportunity at Ancestry, and I'm so thankful for it, it was a pretty obvious choice for me in terms of the brand, what it meant, what it could mean, and just the platform it could be for the world. I've had the pleasure of looking deeply at what you guys do, but maybe not everybody knows exactly what Ancestry does. So tell me a little bit more about Ancestry and, and what it is that you are here to serve. Sure. So let me start with just a quick articulation of our mission 
and then we can kind of go into what we've been up to the last 30 years as we've been a company. So Ancestry's mission is to fulfill that fundamental need, that desire that all of us have for personal discovery. You know, ultimately, we are a function of our past, what made us the experiences we've had, and also those who we've come from and where we've come from. And this has really been Ancestry's mission, is to really fulfill that fundamental need for personal discovery. So a little bit of history and a little bit of background. Ancestry's been in this business for 30 years. We affectionately talk about ourselves as a 30-year-old startup. And it's been in this world of connecting families for over 30 years. And our business has really evolved in a very customer-centric way over time to become a global leader in family lineage, historical documents, and now DNA testing. So if you think about it, 30 years ago, we actually started as a publishing company. You know, we were publishing um, information about family history. We then went in and became a company that was actually doing genealogical research for folks. We then provided that on CD-ROM, and as technology advanced and .com came across, we built a digital platform where we digitized records and families could get to know more about themselves through those digital records, which used to be very hard to get at. You used to have to go to reference libraries and look at them in person. And we've now become you know, the preeminent family history company. So we've got more than 20 billion digitized historical records from wow. over 80 countries of origin. We've got the largest online collection of all these records and more genealogists and population geneticists than any organization in the world. But probably the most interesting thing is that we've got more than 100 million family trees on our network that are helping people really bring their families to life. We've made more than 11 billion human connections between those family trees. And, you know, we now have more than 10 million customers who've turned on Ancestry to use DNA to help unlock some of the mystery of their past. So you put all of that together and we've become this really amazing multifaceted platform to help people on their journeys of self-discovery. And we've been doing it for 30 years, just evolving with technology as the tools got better and better to do that. Okay, so this is so fascinating. And I think 11 billion connections, that's a personal moment in each one of those connections, right? Absolutely. And so I remember my cousin, actually, Tamara McCleary, used Ancestry.com a few years ago, and she was delighted by what she learned and actually has given talks all over the world about what she learned. So um, I'll have to put you guys in touch. Of course. So tell me about the stories. You must hear a million stories, and what do you do with those stories? Yeah, so this notion of storytelling is a much-talked-about concept in marketing today. And, you know, one of the things I'm really proud of of the team here at Ancestry is that those stories that we unlock are genuinely the fuel that powers our marketing. So to answer your question, a couple of thoughts. First, you know, the nature of our product is one that authentically unlocks stories. So if you think about your cousin, mm-hmm. she probably had these stories that she never knew were in her family's past. We then take stories that we've heard like this, and we get hundreds and hundreds a day. We get people calling in, writing in. I mean, our member services department just gets calls to say, thank you so much. I found a long lost story about my grandfather that I never even knew existed. Um, And we actually invite these stories in. So we do calls on Facebook. We do, we invite the stories in through member services. And actually many of these stories actually end up becoming the fuel for our advertising and our content. So let me give you an example. Recently, we put an an ad on air with a woman named Courtney McKinney. 
she actually found out, she did an ancestry DNA test and actually found out that she had a connection back to Ghana in Africa. Wow. And she had always come from this lineage of very strong women in her background, you know, strong um, single mom raised, just this wonderfully strong, passionate lady. And uh, she went back to her past and found out that in Ghana, she descended from a tribe that actually was a very matriarchal tribe that was led by women in an environment where men were usually leaders of tribes. So for her, her personal discovery was that, hey, maybe that's why my family has always had and been led by these strong female figures in my life. And so for her, that, that story actually was submitted. It became this sort of uh, story that we put into advertising. And we talked about how her discoveries in her past actually gave her more confidence to feel her future. And those are the kinds of stories that we put out in the world all the time. Um, I say the second piece is we're very careful with a lot of our content. 90% of our content is actually real customers in it. Mm. And the reason we do that is the most authentic way to tell a story in your marketing is by the storyteller themselves. So to hire an actor to tell one of our customers' stories is just never going to resonate the same way as if we actually put that actual person in the advertisement. So in many ways, our content is very much fueled by our customers, not just from a storytelling standpoint, but actually from a casting and involvement standpoint. And so it's a really big part of our engine. Almost all of our stories are told both figuratively and literally by our customers. Okay, so very cool. You remind me a lot of a podcast I just released with Meg Goldthwaite, who is the CMO of NPR. Got it. And she says, yeah. as chief marketing officer of NPR, my job is to tell the story of the storytellers. That's right. Which is what you're doing. Absolutely. Right? So tell me how you think about that from a team structure and how you think about how to aggregate all this great content together and, and, and what you're doing to really make sure that you're using it in the right ways. Sure. So we've got a, I would say, pretty um, unique structure designed to do just this. So a, a lot of organizations have, you know, a PR function, which is about sort of, I would say, organic storytelling out there in the world. One of the things we've done is in that group, we've actually got what we call our sort of editorial and research function. So essentially, this is a team of genealogists. They're trained genealogists. They're the best in the world at what they do. And they are constantly talking to consumers, users, helping them really uncover their stories. And so what we've essentially got is a team of folks that are all trained researchers that are curating the most interesting and pertinent stories um, that we have. So they're constantly looking at, at these things. These stories then are fed into our sort of content engine, and we decide what the best channel to tell the stories are in. Sometimes it's going to be a quick kind of tweet, mm -hmm. a story that goes out that way. Other times it's going to be an entire TV production. Other times it's going to be feeding some of our long-form content, like Who Do You Think You Are, where a lot of that team works with celebrities to tell some of their stories. And in other cases, it fuels just some really native digital video that we publish as just branded content for our site. But I think the secret sauce here is that we've got a team whose sole responsibility it is to dig in and uncover stories of users that are, um, that are just people like you and I, and then they'll curate the best of the best, and that'll feed a lot of our content. Okay, so I have so many questions, I don't even know where to go. Uh, I wish I had like three hours to dig into this because one of the things that's really fascinating is I think a lot of times people confuse storytelling with simply being creative. 
And so people don't associate digital with it. But you're definitely a digitally driven business. Yeah. So tell me how you think about performance marketing as it relates to how you're finding and surfacing and measuring the impact of this content. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a bigger question in there, which is sort of how does our full sort of funnel of marketing work? So if you think about it, we truly are a, you know, what I like to say, a modern marketing machine. And that's what we're really trying to build. And what I mean by that is all of these stories I'm talking about are filling sort of the top of the funnel with just great reasons to engage with our brand. You know, if we put this story out in the world, could that be a story that we unlock for you? You know, everyone's on this unending search for personal discovery And we want to show that it's possible. If you use our platform, if you use our products, if you engage with our brand, the stories you're going to uncover are going to be quite amazing. And what we try to do is these stories that we unlock from other people that we try to put out in the world, we try to use those as inspiration for others to know that your story also awaits in our platform. What we then do, though, from a performance marketing standpoint is once people are then engaged with our brand – the performance marketing platform kicks in and that's where a lot of the demand capture happens. So we create demand through a lot of the storytelling in our content engine. And then through our marketing technology, a lot of the people that have viewed this content then get engaged in our performance marketing engine and we capture a lot of them into saying, hey, you saw the story, we know you loved it, you engaged with our content, you engaged with our brand. Here's a great offer, a free trial, a way to enter our product, to really experience it for yourself. And then we let the product do the work from there. Okay, fascinating. So as you're connecting all these dots and you're thinking about your team You have to have a whole mix of people involved to make this full funnel really sing. So tell me a little bit about the kinds of of skill sets that you look for on your team and how you you cultivate that talent over time. Yeah, you got it. So this is a, compared to I'd say a lot of people who might have grown up in CPG versus, you know, other industries, this is a very different model than I'd say a typical CPG sort of marketing model. In a large group of marketers, I've got a grand total of about five brand people, right? And the reason we have that is the rest of my organization are specialists, and they're really good at what we do. So the way we organize is around, I would say, a couple of buckets. One, we've got our specialist organization, especially in the performance marketing group, that are really good at SEO, SEM, display, partners. They're the ones that are really good at optimizing channels for acquisition to the maximum uh, ability. But the reason we have a brand organization is for two things. Number one is that, of course, defining the brand, the classic sort of what does our brand stand for, what should our lead creative strategy be, what should our, our strategy be in terms of acquiring more consumers. But the other really important role they play is they play sort of conductors of the orchestra. What happens in a lot of companies is they're either sort of performance marketers or they're brand marketers. And we really look at ourselves as both. But to make that work, you can't have your performance marketers working separately from your brand and creative people. You need to have sort of conductors of the orchestra to ensure that the work that your specialists are doing ladders up to the overall story that your brand wants to tell. And that sort of it's all choreographed in a really beautiful way. So if we've got a new promotion or a campaign happening that our brand has thought of, what we want to do is make sure that our performance marketers are completely aligned to that. And that, you know, if we put a new story out there, they're ready to set up and acquire 
at great acquisition levels, those consumers who are creating demand from. So essentially, we've got a brand, I'd say a brand kind of experience organization. We've got a classic media organization, and then we've got a lot of specialists. The key is how you conduct all this orchestra so that the uh, sum of the parts is greater than the whole. Incredibly fascinating. And you would be then the ultimate maestro of the whole thing. Is that right? Yeah, I think a big part of the CMO is to keep an eye in an organization like this, what is happening across the board. And yeah, being a maestro of all this is probably a very good description of uh, what I have to do every day. Okay, now I'm curious because you have mentioned a couple of things. And I want to come back to both of them that are really interesting is the variation on content type. But also, let's come back to purpose. Yeah. But let's start with the content type. Yeah. Now, you talked about your, your sampling in all different kinds of forms, formats, mediums. What are you seeing as most exciting for you now, or is it just E, all of the above, and it's the mix? Yeah, look, it's, it's really the mix, and I'll go a little bit deeper into that. I mean, think of yourself, myself as a consumer. Think of people that you know. I mean, there is this hunger for content. I think that's well-documented, well-understood. The tricky part is content that grabs attention. And actually, you have to go one level deeper, is content that grabs attention actually needs to be perfectly natively suited for the platform in which the consumer is engaging that content. Mm -hmm. So there's this real sort of art in, yes, all content matters, all platform matters, but you've got to make sure that the content or the story you're choosing can be articulated and conveyed in a way that works in that platform completely natively. And that the sum total then of all these native placements of content, this is always on engine, it's always on, we think of ourselves almost more like a publisher than a marketer. So we're constantly publishing content that is native to each platform. But it's the sum total of that that the consumer ultimately absorbs. Mm -hmm. So we're always thinking about where is the consumer, where are they absorbing content, which one of our stories from our storytelling engine will fit best in each platform, and then what is the best way to convey that story that is completely conducive to the way the consumer consumes content in that platform. So a long way to say it's the mix, but it's so much more complicated than that because right. you got to choose the right story for the right platform conveyed in the right way and just make sure you're always keeping an eye as a publisher on all of the mediums so that the net storytelling that's going out there is mm -hmm. what you want it to be. And you can't allow for any sort of light between the stories that is happening out there. And it, it's just made marketing so much more complicated than it was in the set it and forget it sort of phase. Yeah, and how fascinating, too, that you just mentioned the fact that you're a publisher. And it's true. I didn't think about it until you said it. I mean, I knew it, but now that you say the words, so you're not only a consumer brand, but you're a publisher at the same time. Yeah. And people trust you with their stories. Yep. So how much do you allow just sort of, say, raw input from consumers? Because we all hear about UGC and, you know, being able to leverage, you know, the user-generated content of today. Is, does it have to go through a filter, or is there a channel for that? You know, so much of what we do is so raw. Uh, let me give you uh, an, an example. And, and I think to be authentic, you have to allow the consumer space to tell the story in the way they want it to do. You cannot, if you're really committed to user-generated content, and I don't just mean user-generated stories, right? That's, I mean, that's one thing. I mean, yeah. you can be inspired by stories, hire an actor, and get them to tell the content. Right. I mean, truly user-generated content you have to do it in their voice. And there's no creative director, no one in the world 
that can do it in their voice. So all of the advertising you see on air from us right now, I mean, that is, of course, we have a framework, but there's a lot of freedom in a framework that the consumer is given to tell the story the way they want to do. We do things like, we've got digital video out there that's been very successful, millions of views, where we would literally take our, we have an in-house creative department. We took one of our uh, cameramen and one of our PR folks we actually sent them to Africa with one of our customers so that he could go back and discover a community from Africa that he was actually from. And he found out he was, the, he was related to the king of a local tribe. I mean, he never knew this, discovered this through our platform. But the way we generated that content was we just let the cameras roll. So we literally took one of our creative people, got him on a plane with our customer, and just video the whole thing. It was a three-day excursion wow. in, um, in Benin, and we did the whole thing. And that became the fundamental concept for our, our video, unfiltered, edited, but unfiltered, raw, and really done in their, uh, in their voice. Awesome. And does that live on your website? Does that live in YouTube? Like, what, How do you think about where you put that content? Then? Great question. So as a publisher, we're always thinking about, okay, we got a story. Where is this one going to live best? So that specific story, for instance, we leverage in a couple of ways. One was we published it in our own channels. The more and more we think about our own channel is really a free publishing network for us, and it creates a lot of traction there. But then this story was so compelling, our PR team actually looked at it and said, hey, we bet a lot of sort of morning shows and variety shows would love to showcase this. So actually, one of the big morning shows picked us up and did a whole series on this gentleman's journey, leveraging content that we created through our platform, discovered it, videotaped, and it became this sort of native to our platform video that we put out there, but then also became this magnificently amplified story that went through PR, completely earned on morning shows around the country. Super. Wow. Okay. Very, very cool. Okay. So I can keep going on this track, but we're going to run out of time soon, which is really unfortunate. So let's go back to purpose. Sure. And uh, you mentioned uh, before we started recording, we were talking about purpose and you mentioned this concept around purpose 2.0. What does that mean? One of the things that I think about a lot and I know many in the industry are thinking about is purpose has been talked about for a long time and it's been a hot topic for a while. And I think it's really important that brands inspire consumers with purpose. But the dichotomy or the divergence here is, on one hand, we as marketers have been infusing our brands with purpose, putting content out in the world that espouses our purpose. And, you know, I think a lot of that has been well-received. But at the same time, if you look at the data, brands are at their least trusted levels ever. So on one hand... Companies are putting out authentic, purposeful sort of content out in the world, you know, these famous anthemic videos that sort of go out in the world. But the flip side, despite all this purpose, uh, brands are less trusted by consumers than ever. And so purpose 2.0 and what we really mean by that is we think there's got to be a bridge. Consumers today want to be participating with the brands that they're involved with. So it's not enough to just hear the message. We've now got to take this purpose and turn them into movements that consumers can actually be a part of. So uh, an example would be, let's say you're a brand that for every one thing you buy, you donate something, you know, of that same nature to like an impoverished community or a community that needs it. We've seen that done in a few brands, you know, around the world. The definition of purpose 2.0 now would be that is great. Now, how do you also have the consumer 
be part of the journey on the back end, actually participating in, you know, the trip to that village to donate that item that, you know, that's doing. So they're not just hearing about it and kind of feeling good about it. They're actually participating in it and actually experiencing it. So how do you turn purpose into sort of true experiences is sort of what we've been talking a lot about. Okay. I'm going to come back to you sure. on that in uh, maybe a few weeks, maybe Sounds a few good. months, but there's a lot in there. Yeah. But I'm going to ask you one really, really big question that has sure. sort of two parts to it. Yeah. So you were talking about this next generation CMO. Yeah. And as you're leading all these incredible adventures around Purpose 2.0 and user-generated content and storytelling in the modern era, obviously your experiences are the product of this thought around the next generation CMO. So the two-part question is, what is it? And what shaped you into this next generation CMO over time? Great question. I mean, look, I think the next generation CMO, if you think about it, I think the CMOs got to, in many ways, be the heart of the company, right? I think Mm -hmm. fundamentally it's about how are you sort of the storyteller in chief of the company. Now, that's easy to say, but the things that are enabling that are very different than they have been in the past. So the next generation CMO has got to tell these stories, but to do that, they have to do a couple of things. Number one, you have to be absolutely attached to your customer because you can't come up with great stories if you don't deeply understand the stories that your product is actually enabling, right? So you have to create an environment where customer stories and the things that your product is actually enabling for a consumer are actually being brought up as the fuel for the content. So step one is sort of how do you unlock those stories and make them part of the natural narrative in your organization? I think the second piece then is, uh, you heard me talk a lot about native content. A lot of that gets enabled by technology, right? So how do you sort of retarget you know, a consumer that might have engaged with a TV ad later on with a second story to kind of move them further down the funnel? That means that you've got to be an absolute technologist. You have to understand this crazy world of marketing technology, ad tech, all of the work that happens in there. And then third is, you know, just this rap on marketers for being just creative people. You have to understand the numbers. You have to go in there and understand. So if I'm telling these stories and using my technology to tell the right story at the right time to the right person in the right, in the right platform... How is all this working? And that third part is really around sort of literally the math, you know? Mm-hmm. How much does it cost me to acquire each customer? You know, what's the net efficiency of my entire full funnel of marketing? And that should include the cost of your organization too, not just the, the cost of your marketing. Right. So, you know, I think it's this combination of sort of your part sort of CFO kind of investment portfolio manager. You're part technologist where you have to deeply understand not just technologies, but how they are connected to each other because there's such little consolidation in the MarTech world that you have to connect different technology providers and make sure there's bridges to all the technology. And third, you know, that art of telling your brand story is never going to go away. That's still there. It's just that it's enabled by so many different things. And you have to kind of put all that together. And it's just made being the role of CMO much more complicated than it ever has been in the past. Okay, so the part two on that is what got you here? Because I would say you're the next generation CMO, right? We try to be. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, a couple of things. You, you, the things that brought people into a CMO career in the past will not be the same as what 
inspires people to want to be CMOs in the future. If you are not a technophile, if you don't really love technology, and I've always, I was always that kid or that person growing up that always had the latest gadget, right? I was mm-hmm. always into technology, always into sort of what's the cutting edge this, the cutting edge that. That's one part of it. So I was really always a technologist and something that I always enjoyed. On the flip side, you know, I also majored in music in university, and I had this deep creative side in me that needed to be explored and needed to be brought part of, and always really just enjoyed the notion of conveying emotion and stories through music, and, and some of that was part of it. And then lastly, you know, I, I, I knew my math, you know, like it was things <laughs> that you just, you had to be able to dissect and really analyze things and just have that curiosity to want to know, are things working? Why are they working? How is that happening? And so if I, if I talked about that as the criteria for a CMO maybe 15 years ago, that, that may not be the same thing. I think you have to love technology, cutting edge, the ambiguity of it all, the messiness of technology where things don't always work according to plan. You have to have this creative side that just needs to be expressed. But then you also have to put all that together with just great analysis and analytics. And so I think the, it's this notion of the ambidextrous CMO, this left brain, right brain thing that needs to come together. And it's just happening at such a rapid pace now that I don't think you can be a successful CMO today and definitely not a decade from now if you don't have that true ambidextrous muscle and the ability to operationalize that within your organization and design an organization that lives into that sort of ambidextrous model. Okay. And I'm almost afraid to ask this question because I'm sure it's not going to be an easy answer, but what advice do you have to people who want to be this next generation CMO? What would you advise them to do as a part of their career building strategy? This is a uh, tough question. You know, I, I talked about probably 90, 95% of my folks are specialists. And so the real question is if, you know, the advice I'd give is if you're out there in the marketing world today listening to this podcast and you are a, you know, fairly kind of entry level or kind of five years into career and you're in SEM or display or performance marketing or partners and affiliates or something like that, I would encourage a lot of those folks to do a broadening sort of assignment, let's say on the brand side. And it's better to do these things early in your career so that you can start to connect dots for a longer period of time. So I'd really encourage a lot of folks that are specialists to think about a broadening assignment in some of the other sort of right brain side of things if you're working on the left brain side of things. On the flip side, if you grew up in CPG and you're really focused on brand and marketing strategy, quickly figure out how you're going to go into the kind of technology side and under you know build out a marketing ask for an assignment in your company building out a marketing tech stack and all the plumbing and the infrastructure that it requires to really activate performance marketing at scale in a very personalized way right so i think the best advice i would give is if you're open to it and you truly want to be a cmo despite all of the things i said um, if that's what you want to do you've got to build this ambidextrous muscle and you've got to start building it early in your career if you're a Search person, try out a brand role. If you're a brand person, try out a search role. And that's not going to be for everyone. And therefore, I think it's going to be harder and harder to fill the funnel with true CMO succession candidates. Mm -hmm. But if you're someone that wants to be a CMO and that's really your goal, you've got to figure out early in your career how to take those kinds of really cross-broadening opportunities that I think are defined very differently than they were in the past. Okay. That is fantastic advice. It reminds me of a very funny question that was asked to somebody on stage once, which was, 
what's your stack look like? Yeah. Well, so, yes. <laughs> and I guess you would have to be able to answer that question, uh, regardless exactly. of if you're a creative person or not. You got it. Okay, super cool. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, so I have one last question for sure. you. So, you're obviously having a ton of fun doing what you're doing. Yep. But if you weren't doing this, and you could do anything in the world, money were no object, forget the role of CMO, what would you be doing? Yeah, you know, that's a question I get asked a lot. Fundamentally, I talked about, you know, why I love being a CMO is this combination of craft, you know, technology, and sort of the the math and science of it all. And so that's in me. That's never going to leave me. And I'm going to give you a funny answer that I think also combines those. I'd love to own a pizzeria. I have a, <laughs> I have a very simple goal in life. One day I want to open a pizzeria on a beach that I love and a very small restaurant. I don't have any bigger goals than that. And the reason I love it is, uh, you know, I've been to Naples. I've really learned the craft of how to make a, a great pizza, something I'm totally into. And I think there's a lot of artistry and craft in that. But then there's a lot of science in exactly how much water do you put in the dough? How much of that do you do? And then the technology of I'm infatuated with how hot the oven is and, you know, is the oven the right one? Like, I am obsessed. I'm a total pizza nerd. All I want to do one day is open a small pizzeria on a beach I and love it. Uh, chill out from there. But hopefully it's a great brand also. Oh, absolutely. I, my wheels are already spinning. And, you know, and it's really fascinating to me how many guests that I have on CMO Moves that have some financial background that catapulted them into marketing and now just want to go be a chef. I yeah. love it. Thank you so much for being my guest today. I really enjoyed the time. And like I said, I could talk to you forever. There's so much goodness in here uh, all the way around. So thank you. Great. My pleasure. And thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just the thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 